Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond, and today I'm welcoming Mark S. Dorn to the show. Mark is professor of music at Colorado Christian University, as well as a private practice counselor. In his work at CCU, Mark leads the symphonic band and jazz ensemble, teaches trumpet lessons, and is actively involved in the mentoring of undergraduate students. He is both a freelance musician and conductor, as well as an author. With a long-time investment in discipleship and counseling, his curiosity about how knowing God can lead to personal transformation has propelled him into counseling, writing, and a lot of musing about the journey. He is married to Jill with four grown children, a new baby, and ten grandchildren. He lives in Morrison, Colorado, where he's never far away from his next mountain adventure. All right, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. I am Lauren Richmond, and we're joined today by Mark Dorn. Hello. Hello, Lawrence. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for uh, the invitation to be with you today. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, tell our listeners anything else you'd like or let them can't do that. Let our listeners know anything else you'd like them to know about you. Well, they maybe would have picked this up reading between the lines, but I've had sort of an unusual development in my life. I have four grown children, 10 grandchildren, and my wife, Jill, and I have a nine month old. Hmm. <laughs> We've been married 11 years. There's a long journey getting here, but little Sophia has 10 nieces and nephews. So that is a source of great joy and exhaustion <laughs> at this point, <laughs> but, uh, but very, very exciting. We're, ha- we're having a great time. Awesome. Awesome. Well, share if you would kind of about your faith journey, what that looked like in the past and what that looks like today. Sure. I was raised Catholic. Uh, I went through Catholic school. I had uh, an uncle who was a priest and an aunt who was a nun. So I was uh, immersed in that through the elementary school years, kind of got kind of went on in high school and that became less important. But in college, um, I, uh, I heard a lecture by Josh McDowell, who was traveling and giving lectures at, at secular campuses. This was at Indiana University. And I, at that point, I already believed in Jesus and was trying to live a moral life and that sort of thing, kind of good Catholic uh, um, ideas and thoughts and behavior, but hadn't really thought much about what he was talking about and the gospel and a personal relationship with God. So at that point in my college years, made a commitment to Jesus in, uh, in a new way and began getting involved in Bible studies and discipleship type ministries uh, for the next uh, for the next few years, so uh, it was it was a significant turning point that those college years where um, my relationship with God through Christ became more central and more driving in a, in my life decisions and my my thoughts about life. So it was a mm-hmm. significant time of change. Uh, uh, got involved in in a church that was a very strong Bible teaching church. A guy named Stuart Briscoe taught at Elmbrook Church in Wisconsin. Those were all really influential. Started reading the Bible on my own for the first time and exploring what it had to say for me rather than it just coming through through church. So mm-hmm. and then early in, in my Christian life I got involved with a discipling ministry called the Navigators and eventually joined the staff later with that. And that was obviously really formative to have that that uh, kind of close mentoring in a discipling relationship and then turning around and doing that with some others. So that's kind of early years. And I, I would say that time, especially as I moved into the discipleship, the words like commitment and obedience and being in the scriptures, you know, being very serious mm-hmm. about uh, the Christian disciplines uh, became real important to me. Scripture memory and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what is your, what does that look like today for you? Yeah. Well, some of that foundation, I think, has has had a long 
uh, shelf life for me. Mm-hmm. All that time in the Bible, obviously, uh, was a good thing for me, uh, just to kind of uh, just read the Bible a lot, study it, memorize it, and all of that. But I think then, if commitment was the the big word for me then, my commitment, I think more, it feels more like it's my awareness of God's commitment to me mm-hmm. and the grace that is there in him towards me. Um, I think uh, I like the verse in Colossians 1 where, where it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a lot less about how committed I am than it is yeah. about yeah. What, what God is doing in me and in, in my Christian community. So um, I'm quite a bit more relaxed <laughs> about <laughs> about some of those things. Not that those disciplines are bad. I don't regret right. memorizing the Bible and praying and all that. But there was kind of an energy in it. Right. That, uh kind of get it right kind of right kind of hit the bullseye yeah yeah what's a spiritual discipline then spiritual practice that's meaningful for you out now today then yeah i think the one that's lingered is uh the question we were always asking each other in that discipleship ministry was you know what are you learning in your quiet time what Mm -hmm. how's your quiet time going Mm -hmm. quiet time essentially being um reading the bible and praying and i've continued that uh, there was a period of time where I didn't very much because I think I needed to reshape it a bit. So mm. there was a period of a couple of years where that would, that became pretty sporadic um, because I think I was wanting it to do something for me that didn't do for me, kind of a vending machine mentality. You know, if I, yeah. if I read the Bible and pray enough, certain outcomes are going to happen in my life. Right. Rather than it being part of a spiritual practice of, of, uh, of just growing spiritually and seeing what, what those practices might yield. So I've continued. I read the Bible most days. I usually read very slowly, small passages, spend a little bit of time in prayer. But then probably the newer practice would be um, something that comes more out of the contemplative tradition. I feel like I'm really bad at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have, I have small amount of patience, but uh, the, you know, I'll take uh, take a phrase. The, my favorite phrase has been the one from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Hmm. I have a really hard time being still. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oftentimes have my do list right next to my journal or my Bible. Mm-hmm. And just in case something occurs to me. And so I've really tried to not do that. Sit on my front porch if it's warm enough uh, to do that or in the quiet of the early morning and just literally sit still and try to get my mind quiet and think about something other than what I'm reading, what I should pray about my do list, whatever seems to come Mm -hmm. up and just be still. So that's relatively new the last few years. My, my wife has kind of led the way in that. Um, She's, she's uh, been a really faithful meditator. She can sit for 20, 30 minutes. I'm doing great if I'm up to 10, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's been really good. It has been a grounding thing. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Appreciate it. I don't know if these I don't know if these are these are necessarily kind of traditional classical spiritual practices, yeah. but the outdoors is really important to me. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Wisconsin, so being outside in cold weather is no big deal. So I'll go for long walks um year round, spend a lot of time praying, thinking, just taking mm-hmm. in nature, being aware of something bigger. Yeah. Um, I love weather. I'm kind of crazy about weather. Uh, I was in Wisconsin a few years ago when that polar vortex hit the Midwest. Oh, man. And I was visiting my mom, and I got dropped off at the airport, and I went in. It was some crazy, like 25 below. Mm-hmm. And I decided to step back out so I could experience that weather. And I don't know if that's a spiritual practice, but it is, it's definitely not work, and it's not anxiety. <laughs> it felt very, very, very alive. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, I don't know if that would be my choice to step out into polar vortex on purpose, but I'm glad it fills you. Yeah, well, it it was brief. (laughs) I was certainly no 20 minutes. Yeah. And the the other thing I've done, and uh, and this I've not done this recently, but there have been times in my life where taking communion at home privately Mm -hmm. has been incredibly meaningful. Hmm. Yeah. During, during darker times where, yeah. where I feel like maybe I'm losing my bearings. Am I still forgiven? Do mm. I still belong to God? Mm. 
you know, does, does Christ's sacrifice still even mean anything? And that, that, that I've done that a lot at times, hmm. not currently, but that's, that's yeah. sort of an interesting, that was suggested to me by, that's intriguing. Uh, by a yeah. mentor. Yeah. I, I thought it was kind of weird because, you know, typically communion is a corporate thing. Right. But uh, yeah, I had, had a little communion cup and a bottle of wine I kept just for that. And yeah. Hmm. Well, I had Mark on the show to talk about his book he recently published called Life on the Road, Longing and Pilgrimage on the Way to God. And I was fortunate to have this recommended to me and Mark for conversation. I was really intrigued by the book. And the more I dug into it, I found it different, I guess in a good way, if I can say that. Um, but one of the things that this this theme is, I, as I read the book of longing and perhaps unfulfillment. So maybe to kick things off, um, I want to ask you about, maybe maybe let's start first, kind of talk about what inspired the book. And then I kind of want to talk to you more about this, as you say, heresy of fulfillment, but start with kind of what inspired the book. Yeah. Well, I've, I've wanted to write a book for a while and, you know, my full-time thing is being a college professor, teaching music, mm-hmm. I have a very small counseling practice and to try to squeeze a book in all of that. Yeah. Was was tough. When I finally sort of marshaled the energy to write it, I was like, well, what do I want to write about? And I had a couple of false starts. And and um, here I, I teach at Colorado Christian University, and I, I mm-hmm. taught this class for a freshman called uh, Language of Longing, Writings About Spiritual Pilgrimage. And we journeyed through a number of pretty divergent books that all had in common the idea that we're on a journey, that the Christian life is more about pilgrimage, uh, uncertainty, all the things that come with a difficult, sometimes difficult journey. Mm-hmm. And then also the topic of longing, that there's a human capacity that's kind of built into us um, for longing. And that life oftentimes leave those leaves those longings touched, but not necessarily completely fulfilled. Yeah. Not enough or very fulfilled at all. Yeah. And uh, as I taught, as I taught the class, this is for freshmen, um, they really resonated with it. It gave hmm. them, it, I think it helped them zoom out a little bit. Um, you know, where, where I teach, we do a lot of, you know, Bible study and that sort of thing. And the students can work very hard at kind of getting it right. Right. Similar to, to earlier in, in my story. Yeah. And I think this class gave them the permission to really engage with what was deeply going on in their own souls without so much being in such of a hurry to fix it, address it, put it into a category, find a Bible verse to attach to it, yeah. but actually just experience their inner life, which yeah. often channels down into these profound longings for meaning, for significance, for mm-hmm. connection, for transcendence and a lot of the people who write about this um, write about it, that music is an avenue, nature is an avenue. There's mm-hmm. things that sort of take our breath away and stir up deep, deep things. Uh, quality relationships, a good conversation, falling in love, all of these things uh, channel into this deep longing that uh, some of the, the biblical mm-hmm. writers talk about and, and others. So that's kind of the genesis for the topic. Um, and, uh, it was interesting that this came from a class that I taught to a room full of 18 year olds for, for about 10 years. So. <laughs> yeah. So that heresy fulfillment dive more into that. Uh, I think the heresy fulfillment comes from similar to my own story where for a while I stopped reading the Bible, mm-hmm. um, stopped doing some of the practices I had done for years because it wasn't quote unquote working. Mm. Um, I had things going on in my life I was distressed about that didn't resolve. There were habits. There were relational things. I had a long career, um, kind of a dark journey where there's a lot of confusion. What should I be doing with my life? And it's like, well, what good is it to to uh, to uh, do all these spiritual practices if it doesn't yield this certain yeah. result? And I think the disappointment of those things um, – relate to this heresy of fulfillment. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a vending machine that, you know, if you do this, you're going to get this outcome. If I put right. put three quarters in the vending machine, I'm going to get a Snickers bar. If, I, if I'm faithful in my Christian practice, well, surely uh, my children will do well. I'll find a good career. I'll have enough money. 
or even more deeply, I'll experience God in such a way that he's very real and close. And right. doubt will go yeah. away and, and heartache will go away. And it's just, that's a heresy. I mean, that, 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 is, that, that is not true. It's so applicable to so many contexts. Again, I'm thinking from my role as a church pastor, it's, you know, if, if I'm faithful, if I do the work, you know, if I'm committed, I'm going to see growth in my church. I'm going to see lives change. I'm going to see whatever. And that just doesn't always happen, right? No, it feels kind of random. Right. I mean, you know, I, so I'm a musician. So if I, if I rehearse my groups... Mm-hmm. A certain amount of time, the expected outcome is a good concert. There's yeah. so many things that can make that not happen. I've had a lot of good concerts, but even if you have a good concert, I think the deeper thing is, is will that do it for me? Hmm. I think I write about this in the book. When I drive home from the concert, uh, man, that sometimes feels like stepping off of a cliff. Because yeah. even if it is kind of everything I wanted it to be, it's not the kind of food for my soul that I'm wanting. Like I wonder sometimes if, if the, if the longing is more activated when something you want to have happen does happen, the church Mm -hmm. growth goes up. Uh, You have a conversation like a, like with my counseling work or mentoring work, I have a conversation. It seems like real change is taking place, but even that is not uh, as sustaining as we would hope it would be. It's going to be something bigger. Hmm. Talk about why darkness is a precious opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole chapter in the book on that. Uh, I think Isaiah 50 is the passage that I start the the book with, where where uh, Isaiah talks about wandering around in the dark and our 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 natural inclination. If the room is dark, reach for a flashlight or a light switch. But in the spiritual life, I think sometimes really good things happen in places of darkness, mm-hmm. of lack of resolution, of confusion, of bizarreness. Something's happened in our life. It's like, I, what was that? Um, can be an opportunity um, for personal transformation. And I, I sometimes wonder if this is, this is God's favorite place to work in our life hmm. where, where we don't have answers, where we can't rely on our resources, our giftedness, our talents, our training, whatever it is. And we're left with, with a lot of questions and, and not a clear direction. I think that's when I think of darkness, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't know where to go here. I don't know what to do. And is that an opportunity to reach for, for, for God in some ways we wouldn't if we had a path, a clear path. Yeah, I, I just finished a book by Andrew Root, who's a uh, seminary professor, Lutheran, I think, seminary professor. And one of the things he plays with in the book, I think, is this kind of like this. He critiques, as he sees it in this culture of of just in general, and then also the, how it's kind of crept into church and Christianity of like depending on ourselves to be innovative and creative. And he, he doesn't use quite that language of, but he, he said something about like, you know, when we're at our wits end, when we have nothing, that's when we find, I don't know if he says the peace of God or something to that, the paradoxical fulfillment, right? Yeah. When I think sometimes those opportunities come when there's something big that happens. Uh, mm-hmm. It's almost 20 years ago, my uh, my younger brother died in his sleep. But mm. uh, I didn't really have a path forward there. Grief is its own thing. And um, and any kind of platitude that somebody would bring to me to bring some light into that darkness just annoyed yeah. the daylights out of me. So I think oftentimes it's those big things, but it can also be like just the ongoing paper cuts of futility. <laughs> uh, last week, I, I took my jazz band to a music conference down at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. And the morning of, I get texts from one of my, my trumpet players that she's sick and can't come. No big deal, right? Well, mm-hmm. but it it was a big deal for me. I was really uh, disappointed and frustrated, upset. And of course, what can I do about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing. 
And 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 then we also found out the same morning that this people mover we we're going to use was stuck in Nebraska. So at the last minute, I had to arrange a, a carpool for twenty people. Hmm. And and it was and I was pretty worked up. I was trying to do my be still and know that I'm God thing right, at right. five thirty in the morning last Friday, and I, I could not be still. And I think it was an opportunity for me. Even those are much more trivial trivial examples than mm-hmm. uh, the loss of my brother. But it, I think it was an opportunity to be invited to, all right, there's really nothing I can do here. Hmm. And is that okay? Am, am I okay with somebody else being in charge of the details of running the universe besides me? Hmm. Um, and I think that can be an opportunity for trust. Not necessarily that God's going to work all that out, mm-hmm. but that ultimately everything of real importance is going to be okay. Hmm. Hmm. I think darkness can be an opportunity to get nudged in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think this, this quote here again relates. You write that God's goodness is a part of God's nature, not demonstrated by the presence of blessing. And maybe this happens I don't know if you'd agree, but I, I certainly see this kind of thinking very much in evangelical spaces where, you know, God's blessing me, you know, I've been faithful, I'm receiving God's blessing, and kind of the inverse is like, well, I'm not getting blessed, must be out of God's will, must be out of God's favor, whatever. Um, but I appreciate you say that, at least as I understand it, that's not the case. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, oftentimes um, you'll hear that sentence. Something will happen. You know, mm-hmm. the uh, the pregnancy test comes back positive. The, right. You get the raise at work, and so you don't have to sell your house or we whatever it is. And and often the kind of summative sentence is, "Well, God is good." Yeah. Well, what about when those things don't happen? Mm-hmm. You know, if he's only good when there are there's a clear presence of blessing, yeah. Um, boy, I, I don't know that that's that's a, a paradigm for a lot of living that's sustainable. Yeah. And I do think I think people exit the Christian walk or journey over this one. Yeah, it's like yeah. God finally didn't come through again mm-hmm. in this area. It's a line in the sand. They sometimes we don't know we've drawn it. Right. There's a line in the sand, and, they, and, right. and this is the last time I'm going to ask for this, hope for this, long for this, and I'm done. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of journey and pilgrimage, you talk about the importance of fellow pilgrims on the way, which I thought was interesting. You talk about mentors, peers, and apprentices. Talk through as you see those three those three roles how that can be helpful for for a journeyer. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I do think all of these, to some degree, are a gift. That's mm. like, I'm going to go find a mentor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can go find a mentor. Like we have, have mentors, uh, elder faculty to, to new faculty here at, right. at, at the university. And that's that's useful. It's very confined. Uh, but that's I'm, uh, this is a little bit different. This is more like a life mentor, somebody who yeah. will speak see your life, speak into it. Maybe it's a little further ahead on the journey than you, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, and I had, I had such a mentor in uh, one of my former professors, psychologist, Larry Crabb for a number of years. And, and he, uh, he was able to see things in my life and speak words. Words are important. Hmm. Speak words into certain things I was struggling with that, that really helped me to take the next step. Mm-hmm. Uh, when things were particularly difficult, um, I think peers can have that same opportunity. Right. But the the peers more somebody's walking shoulder to shoulder, and and maybe more mutual. And I don't I don't want to codify this too much. Yeah. I mean, a mentor can be somebody like a pastor, a counselor, spiritual right. director, where it's formalized, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Um, peers kind of fall into the friend. Uh, friend category where mm-hmm. you're just as likely to uh, to speak into their life as they are into yours. But even that can be seasonal. Uh, when I was going through some 
some of the difficult times I write about in the book, my brother's death and the divorce happened. My, my divorce from my first marriage happened about the same time. And I had a handful of peers that were just right there holding the ropes mm-hmm. for me. Um, and then uh, the apprentices, you know, I think uh, uh, you sent me some of these questions ahead of time. I just wrote down the word, be careful <laughs> hmm. about apprentices. Cause I think yeah. if we think, I think I'm really ready to, Take on an apprentice yeah. and mentor them. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think interesting. I I, I think that can. It's like who's it for? It's mm-hmm. got to be for them, not who's for it you. for. That's a good question. Who's it for? Oh man! And uh, you know, some of my counseling training, we talk about this transference and countertransference. You're yeah. there for them. Yeah. But I think that's really important in this third category of apprentice. You're there to see them to speak and they may or may not not to be seen yeah. yeah right and if if i'm an agent of change thank god i'm ha- i'm grateful for that if i'm not it's okay um yeah so you know i'm i'm going back to that word or the word you said or the the gift that all are a gift because it's a it's a gift to to speak into someone's life and absolutely not something we should just take for granted or, or assume that we have the right to do, I imagine. And, and even it, it's definitely more art than science. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you think I really have the sentence for them, I've had that thought many times like in a counseling meeting or with a student, I, this sentence is going to, it's going to rock their world. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. falls yeah. on the floor between right. us. <laughs> for some reason, my mind is going to the Seinfeld mentor mentee episode with Ovaltine and, uh, anyway, <laughs> George, I will say, I will say this, I, since it is a gift, I think this is one of those areas where it makes sense to pray. You know, if mm. you really are feeling the need for a mentor, say, mm-hmm. um, to ask for guidance for, um, you know, circumstantial events to align. So you yeah. need somebody, um, ask, start asking, do you know anybody who would like, who you think it'd be a good mentor for me? I think that can that uh, that can be can be a good thing. I write in the book also about uh, I think I called them distance mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've been mentored by Henry Nowen, sure. C.S. Lewis, yeah. Uh, recently, David Brooks. I read his book, The Second Mountain. I thought that that book was really encouraging to me hmm. uh, about dealing with kind of. You know, I'm 65, so later in life, first mountain being ambition, finding your career, making uh-huh. enough money, kind of finding your vocational identity. Second mountain's mountain is more about calling. That really, hmm. that, that stayed with me. I felt like I had yeah. a conversation with him through his book. Yeah. So I think, I think books and the whole podcast phenomenon, I, right. I've not done much with podcasts, but there's a couple I've listened to that have really been thought provoking. and feel like I'm, it's, it's better than um, vicarious. It feels real. Right. Right. Uh, not quite the same as sitting down eyeball to eyeball over coffee yeah. with somebody, but yeah. It's amazing what we can do thanks to technology, even, I suppose, the 500-year-old technology of the printing press. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I read the book and I thought more about it in my own life and it kind of in some of the work I do, I couldn't help but think about, Mark, how this relates to clergy. And I don't know if you've seen it in your context, context, certainly in in some of the mainline circles I'm a part of, the issue of clergy burnout and and folks leaving has been pretty drastic and dramatic, I think. Um, And even just among folks I know and work with, I don't know. It just seems like the, the weariness and heaviness of burnout is, to me, it's really discouraging just to see it and, and not know how to help. Um, so I kind of just wondered if we could talk about for a few moments, just like clergy burnout, how you think this themes of longing and unfulfillment might relate and just kind of share your thoughts of what you think might be helpful. Yeah. You and I had an interesting email conversation right. uh, about clergy burnout and the difference between mainline and the more evangelical churches. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the, of my church experience have been probably in that more evangelical 
context, although right now I'm at a, a PCUSA church where my wife is worship director. Mm-hmm. So uh, your, your question about burnout and talking about that intrigued me if there's, yeah. there are some differences. And you mentioned you thought the, a lot of the mainline churches are shrinking. So there's this thing of mm-hmm. I'm hitting my head against the wall and right. attendance was down by 10 again. And of course, we're counting heads and all of that. And it seems like on the, and on the evangelical side, sometimes it might be the other. They have so many programs growing right. going, that they crash or get in an affair or right. just, you know, right. go off into depression or suicide. I mean, there's all kinds of things related yeah. to clergy burnout that um, I, I think it's an interesting thing because the general perception often of people in the pew is that being a pastor is kind of easy. Mm-hmm. You yeah. your sermon prep, how long can that take? Yep. Go visit a few people in the hospital. How long can that take? Run a couple of meetings. <laughs> just work on Sundays. Uh, weren't you just on vacation a month ago, Pastor? I yeah. mean, I, I hear these conversations in both camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an awful context for somebody who's exhausted, feeling like a failure, dealing with various temptations. I mean, who knows? I mean, that is a recipe for serious crashing and burning, health mm-hmm. problems, all kinds of things. So I think uh, it is a problem, and the the uh, I, I I thought about this a little bit. I think the longing is I think that's a that kind of a universal thing. It's talked about so much in Scripture that I'm, I'm convinced that it is something that God wants us to wrestle with. But mm-hmm. I think the pathway into that is an enriched inner life. Okay, and and I think for many clergy, if they are so overcommitted, counting heads, mm-hmm. feeling like a failure. It is really hard to get down into what's going on kind of deeper inside and have a place to, to journal about that, to talk about it, to bring it into your spiritual practice, to have mm-hmm. a mentor, to have those resources there. Um, and the irony of that, of course, is they're a spiritual leader. And right. it, they're often, I think, uh, clergy struggle and Christian leaders struggle with that of just being so consumed by what's happening uh, and whatever is going on in their life. Um, I don't know. We have, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but um, I, I got a kind of more deeply acquainted with the Enneagram a few years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a pathway to the inner life. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of many uh, that can be helpful, but uh, have you read uh, the sacred Enneagram by Chris Hertz? I don't think so, but I'm I'm familiar with the Enneagram. Yeah, a, a must read for hmm. clergy. I think he he talks about the Enneagram in a very rich way, but he also talks about the difference between recovery and restoration. Hmm. And most of us who have been in ministry, and I think your question applies also to the parachurch worker, the person right. who's running a right. campus ministry, or. Uh, Teaching a small Christian college, I mean, there's a lot of demands on our time and all of that, and we're trying to be mm-hmm. spiritual leaders and all that. Um, he talks about, he says, if you are, if when you have downtime, all you're ever about is recovery, eventually you're going to collapse. Well, yeah. There, there has to be practices that lead to actually restoration. Yeah. More, it's, it's more wellness versus I'm I'm in the ER again with chest pains, <laughs> um, <laughs> spiritually speaking, yeah. or physically speaking, for that matter. And I thought that is very helpful. Yeah, and, uh, that restoration happens, and he advocates for rest, mm-hmm. reflection, and I think that's the inner life piece of it, okay. and recreation, being outside, going for walks, seeing the mountains if you're in Colorado or whatever it is. Um, recovery is an unavoidable season i think when i get to the end of a nine-month academic schedule i need about Mm -hmm. four or five days of brain deadness yeah before i can really move back into re-engaging with some 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 of this but if if i wait till may for that four or five days i'm in danger of of collapse so i Mm -hmm. think for for clergy um if there is not some strategy for restoration as you go through the yeah. rhythm of the years, I think that that is 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 difficult. And I think where my book gets into some of these deeper inner realities: longing, darkness, emptiness, sorrow, um, uh, 
futility. Uh, yeah. Those, those, those are inner life things that are triggered by our outer life. You know, the tr- church is shrinking. I feel like a failure. I'm discouraged. Right. What's the point? Right. Good job, God. I mean, all those things and putting right. words to that is really important. Yeah. Cause again, we're kind of talking through two contexts, you know, a mainline context that's can be often shaped by challenge and decline and shrinking budgets. And again, these are broadly speaking an evangelical context where it's often shaped by like, you know, growth and hair on fire. And again, neither of which leaves much room for rest or reflection no. or recreation. And, and both carry really strong amount of pressure that mm-hmm. external pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And how uh, someone in a clergy or pastor minister um, spirit, spiritual leader, how a person processes that pressure is really important. Yeah. Let me, let me go to the other side of this. Cause something's stirring within me here. I want to hear your perspective on again, we've talked about unfulfillment. So I think I shared with you when we were, before we started recording again, I worked as a new church starter. The church unfortunately didn't make it through COVID. I mean, I carry a lot of frankly unfulfillment, um, certainly a lot of pain and grief about how things went down there. You know, certainly had so much dreams and hopes for the future of the church. I mean, I, I'm not even sure what question to ask here, but I guess certainly that's a challenge that clergy face. Again, whatever context you're coming from, I can imagine. Um, talk talk more about that. Yeah. It's kind of like a capital D disappointment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. For somebody who's in, in ministry to have to have dreams that are tied to your your relationship with God, your understanding right. of the gospel and all of that, and, and and it just it goes down anyway. Mm-hmm. Um I don't want to address that too quickly. I mean, it feels like even the sorrow of that for you is kind of in the air as we talk. Sure. Yeah. It's just right there. It wasn't that long ago, right? No. Yeah, no. I'm talking about the last few years. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that that your grief is quote unquote resolved. It's probably right. alive. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where we have to be careful with these big categories, not to rush too quickly mm. to try to find a framework for processing it. Mm-hmm. Five stages of grief. That's probably a helpful paradigm, but boy, you gotta be careful with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to link this to link, link this to some of my bigger D disappointments. And I know any time came to me too quickly, anytime anyone came to me too quickly with a silver lining. Right. This is the purpose of it. Um, mm-hmm. That that made it even more deeply discouraging. Like I somehow was missing yeah. what I should be getting from it. I feel like yeah. I'm answering your question very well here. Well, it's, you know, I think it maybe perhaps speaks to just the challenge of Again, I think disappointment in ministry, regardless of folks' context, is something that's heavy and is hard to process at times. I mean, because, um, again, I've seen, you know, whether it's, again, for thinking, just broadly speaking of like some of my clergy friends who, um, you know, the budget giving expectations are significantly down from what they hoped for. You know, um, I remember a friend who was just like, I'm afraid to talk about anything controversial because I can't stand to lose another family from the church. Um, you know, another um, who's like, I don't know if I can, uh, you know, in a, in a in a church appointment system, you know, I don't know if I can stand to be moved at this point in my life, you know, to a new church. Yeah. Those are huge. Yeah. And, and, and I think the depth of those, uh, frustrations, sorrows, fears. There's a lot of fear in some of those, you know, with, mm-hmm. the, with the money and being afraid to declare what you really feel needs to be declared because you're going to step on a 
another set of toes that will walk out the door. Right. Uh, I think those, those big feelings and aspirations um, need to be honored and, and put into words. So I'm, I'm glad you have had, I imagine you have a lot of conversations like this Yeah. with, with fellow clergy. Do you find that act literally just kind of bringing oxygen into those feelings in conversation? Is it helpful? Well, I mean, I, it I think for it me, it doesn't like, change anything. It doesn't change anything in the circumstance, but right. it, it, is it helpful to the, to the fellow clergy, to the, to the friend? I mean, I think broadly speaking, yes. And, and this, part of this is coming from my own training as a hospital chaplain is that, you know, talking through things helps. So that's why I, you know, strive to do it and have, strive to have these kind of conversations because I think it is helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's, you know, again, I don't want to be too paint with too broad a brush here, but I still think whatever context we're working in for clergy, there can be this expectation of like, I've got to have it all together or, you know. I think that complicates right. the, the struggle. You know, when my brother died, I didn't think something was wrong with my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I didn't think anybody would think something wrong was with, was with my spiritual life. What do you mean your brother died? I thought you were a Christian. I mean, no one's hmm. going to. It's ludicrous. Right. But uh, but if a pastor says, hey, folks, I'm really struggling yep. with, with depression right now right. over the direction of the church. This is hard. Can right. we just say this is hard? Yeah. There'll be some out there who goes, well, if you're not, if you don't have confidence in God, how are we supposed to? Right. That That's a whole other layer to this that's just awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and to, I think for pastors, and this is, this is really hard to model um, more authenticity with that, mm-hmm. um, with at least a few other pastors, a few trusted people in the congregation. But I know, I know pastors have been burned by doing that, where they kind of go out on a limb and, and confess to, I'm struggling with this. I'm afraid if I bring this up in church, in a sermon, um, I'm going to lose people. Um, yeah, that's, that's a vulnerable place for a, a spiritual leader to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm it certainly a fan happen. of boundaries, you know, some yeah, things are yeah. not, but yeah. I Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You shouldn't air your, your laundry. Right. There's, again, this is the, you're kind of in that going back to the three categories, mentor, peer, apprentice. A lot of the people you should be thinking of, but these are my, these are my, my congregants. These are the people right. that I'm leading, but to lead from, uh, from pretense is no good either. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky one. And, and the, the, the brushback can be really painful. Right. Well, this is a great conversation here. Let me ask you one more question before we take a break. Uh, we're already kind of running along here. What advice do you have for pastors, especially those who are often walking again, this journey of what can be a lonely road? Yeah. Um, certainly to try to find a companion and that might need, might need to be outside of the, the local church context another pastor, maybe a counselor who has experience mm-hmm. with, uh, with dealing with pastors um, or clergy, uh, spiritual director, even somebody out of your, outside of your tradition a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm drawn to the Catholic spirituality and the settledness of that, of the patience of that. The, it takes a long time. Um, quieting the inner life, that sort of thing. Um, I think having some kind of a companion goes a long way. And then I think the second thing is to cultivate self-awareness. We all have our triggers that will lead to binge watching, overeating, pornography, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Having that second or third beer. And and it's, it's just, it's just human nature to reach for something to anesthetize and some level of Mm self-awareness. And this is sort of an ironic one, I think, for clergy, but to have some kind of Sabbath practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not Sunday. Um, yeah. You know, I like Chris Chris Hertz, this book I mentioned, his his three R's for recovery of rest, reflection, and recreation, where you literally rest, sleep, mm-hmm. maybe rest awake, yeah. reflection, have time to read, to journal, to interact over coffee with somebody who's not in a hurry, doesn't need anything from you. Uh, and recreation to get outside. Hmm. Walk well, this is good stuff. Um, the book is again, life on the road, 
longing and pilgrimage on the way to God. Uh, highly recommend the book. Um, Mark, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Mark Dorn. And Mark, great conversation. Really appreciate your perspectives and insights here. Have some closing questions. I always take tell folks you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, but if you're Pope for a day, what might that day look like for you? <laughs> uh, this question makes me giggle, giggle a little because of my background mm-hmm. with uh, with a Catholic upbringing on yeah. my dad's side. And so I certainly heard all about the Pope and was there for Vatican II. And I'm old enough to remember all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, more seriously, <laughs> um, I think I have come to appreciate liturgy. Mm. Went to Lutheran church for a while. Um, yeah, when when I had that time in college where I made a more personal commitment to Christ, if I could put it that way, um, I kind of jettisoned all of that. Yeah, and I've come to appreciate that. But I think I think sometimes liturgy can be a, can be anesthetizing. And mm. I don't know if I would pope for the day if I if I had the power to do this, I would want to promote liturgy as setting the table for an encounter with Jesus. Hmm. Not just something that is familiar and that I don't have to look at the book anymore because I have it memorized. So I think that's what it's intended to do anyway, but somehow that's yeah. lost. So if I had any kind of papal superpowers, if I can make the, the meaning of the liturgy mm-hmm. kind of be setting the table for here comes Jesus. And certainly we have the table and the bread and the wine and all that, but um, well, that's really intriguing. That's really intriguing, especially as I think about, I can't dive too deep in this for sake of time, but especially as I think about evangelical spaces, this, this obsession of like, how can we, how can we get Jesus in here? And right. He's there. <laughs> right. With the liturgy, yeah. it's like, Hey, it's happening now. Yeah. yeah. Um, what theologian or historical Christian figure would you want to meet or bring back to life? Uh, I thought of two. Can I do two? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, C.S. Lewis. I mean, yeah. it's just, I, there's something about Lewis that I, I think of him as my continental divide author. Mm. If I need clarity to see what's up in my life, uh, mm-hmm. it almost has the same power for me as reading scripture. Yeah. Um, and to have a conversation with him would be just out of this world. Okay. And then the other one is Frederick Buechner, who yeah. just died a couple yeah. of months ago. In fact, he died around the time my book came out uh, in August. And uh, he had the ability to walk this very fine line of somehow Jesus was always exalted and lifted up, but he did it with such a unassuming, hmm. no need to be right, non-dogmatic way. Mm-hmm. It just invited me to want to go deeper in my relationship with God. And yeah. I'd be just so curious to sit in his study in his Vermont home and talk with him about all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place. I don't think it's going to be a good memory. There is so much <laughs> division and COVID and I don't know. It's, it's hard. I think history will look back at this as being a very conflicted, confusing time. Yeah. But I also wonder, and this is the history of the church is that history maybe won't even know about this and doesn't record it. You know, what are the pockets of revival and mm. spiritual renewal that are going on yeah. in the world? God's not an American <laughs> yeah. in the world, you know, what's going on throughout the world in, in the impoverished world, in the places where the church is persecuted, in right. places where the gospel has uh, become sort of fossilized and turned into music, what's going on in a secularized Europe. There are things going on during this time under the duress of widespread trauma. Hmm. We've had trauma right. in right. the world because of COVID. And what do you hope for? Oh, sorry. I you know, if, if what I'm writing is true, that those dark and difficult places are fertile soil for God to work, what's he doing? I don't know how that will be recorded, but I hope that that gets remembered in some yeah. way because I think it's happening. Yeah, that's good. Uh, what do you hope for the future of Christianity? I think I've seen in my experiences, in my Western, more evangelical, um, I've seen some pendulum swings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Early on, uh, my experience was the Bible. Memorize it, read it, apply it, live it, commitment, that sort of thing. 
And then as I started teaching, I saw the generation behind me embrace worship, yeah, music and worship right. in some really beautiful ways. It was like there was the head and then the heart kind of caught up. Mm-hmm. 90s, 2000s, something like that. More recently, I think there's been a real honoring of the of the of mental health issues mm-hmm. and and bringing spiritual concerns into that and I think that is a really healthy thing uh, counseling is much much less stigmatized than right. it was so that's kind of that's kind of a three part journey I see in my short uh, life and I, I wonder if the next thing might be a swing back to deep intake of the scriptures maybe hmm. through these lenses of worship inner life mental health, restoration. That would be good. Because sometimes I think uh, when you focus on these other things, just literally reading and talking about the stories of the Bible can go away. And I wonder if th- I, that, I would, I would be hopeful for that, that there would be more conversations informed by these ancient timeless stories, the, the storytelling of Jesus, the story of Jesus, uh, and all of that. I think that would be, I would be hopeful about that. Well, that's great. I really appreciate uh, the conversation. Thank you for sharing all these uh, thoughts and perspectives. Uh, share if you would. How can people connect with you if they want find out more about you? That kind of thing. Sure. Um, if they want to get a copy of the book, the easiest is just to go on Amazon. Life on mm-hmm. the road. Put in my last name, Dorn, and it'll come up. Um, I also have a counseling website. That's uh, that's a place where you can subscribe to my little email newsletter. I've got a little blog that I do on there, uh, or just reach out to me personally. And that's just markdorncounseling.com. D-O-R-N is how you spell my last name. Markdorncounseling.com. Well, uh, again, thank you so much. Always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.